All right, we've got a snack for you coming up today at 445. Scott, I know you've seen this, but I do want to talk about a few elements of it later today in the snack. Colby, I don't know if you've watched this yet on Netflix or not, but last night I settled into The Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix last night, the hour-and-a-half documentary on the um, very famous song from the early 80s about trying to help those starving in Africa. And I I liked it. I, it. I wouldn't call it the greatest documentary I've ever seen, but it had some fascinating elements to how musical arrangements work and also how you handle some of the biggest egos in the world all in one room at one time and how delicate you had to be with some and what the process was. But that was a damn good documentary that I watched last night. Oh, I know. It was it was awesome. Like you said, I don't know if I'd call it the greatest, but especially being a kid of the 80s, like, I loved it. Have you watched it yet, Colby? I've not seen it, no. Okay, you need to, you need to watch it because it's, it's, it's pretty solid, man. Pretty, pretty solid about how the entire process happened, how it came together. You learn things musically about some of the biggest stars in the world, not only at that time, but ever in the world of music. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that coming up uh, just a little bit at the 445 mark for the snack this afternoon. There is one question, and we can get into this when we talk about this in the snack. There is one question that has bum-fuzzled me for nearly 40 years in the you just made my heart jump for a minute because i was like did scott is scott getting ready to drop a bomb for no a no second? no 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 okay but the documentary still did not address it and that that kind of infuriated me but we'll talk okay about that all right i is intrigued i is intrigued we're speaking of the song we are the world by the way that uh became an instant hit i hell i think we had assemblies about it when i was in elementary school i still have my 45 of it you still have your 45 awesome 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 all right tonight is the return of nuba back off of the all-star break and we get to settle in for a pretty solid little matchup for our friends down the turnpike in oklahoma city with the clippers and the thunder a big game to come back to start or to kick off the second half or the final third of the NBA season. And I wanted to take a few moments to just maybe kind of put our binoculars on and look at what the rest of the season is going to look like as all these teams march towards the playoffs here in the Western Conference. And it is shaping up to be, well, one that could go down in the books as maybe one of the greatest races for the top seed in the Western Conference that we've at least seen in a little while. Not quite to the level where every team's having to win 50 games to even sniff the playoffs, but you go and start to look at the top where the four teams stand within three games of each other. And they are probably going to figure to be the four teams that host the first-round series in the West. Denver right now is sitting in the fourth spot. They have a three-game lead over New Orleans and Phoenix and win the tiebreak with the Pelicans. But not all top four seeds are obviously created equal. Historically, the fourth seed only makes it out of the first round half the time in the NBA playoffs. 
History also tells us that the top three seed is essential condition for a realistic title contention. So that means that the Nuggets right now have a little bit of making up to do if they want to kind of get off of what historically has been the coin flip spot in the fourth seed because, one, you got to advance past one of the Clippers, the Thunder, or the Timberwolves. So the Nuggets are two back of the Clippers and Thunder and three behind Minnesota in the in the loss column. Three remaining games against the Wolves could potentially play a big role in that, but Minnesota is going to be difficult to catch given that it only has – 10 road games left on its schedule. That's it. 10 in this portion of the season. And they will likely win a tiebreaker against everyone unless the Nuggets sweep all three. Oklahoma City tied the season series, but would need Minnesota to lose at least three of its six remaining division games. So you've got the Clippers and the Thunder that are tied in the loss column and play what is essentially this game tonight, which is a double game. So in Oklahoma City tonight, since the winner will have the tiebreaker. And then you have the portion of this that you start to look at where you start to fit in with the rest of the playoff positioning out west. Um, man, the Suns have a ton of talent right now. They're 33-22 and 22 against the league's weakest schedule, but their schedule gets incredibly difficult. So here's the Suns and what they have left with good teams. The Suns have two games left against Boston, Cleveland, Denver, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, and the Clippers. And their final ten opponents have winning records. They only have four games that they would consider doormat games. Toronto, Charlotte, and two against San Antonio remaining on their schedule. So we're going to find out even more about this healthier version of the Suns. Pelicans are in pretty good shape. Um, even though, listen, I think they've probably got maybe the weakest starting five out of the teams that you would put into the contender category. Not saying that I do uh, at all, but they have 15 home games left, and they've already been able to withstand a lot of injuries. So maybe they will get healthier. But, man, you just start to look through where some of these teams are. Like the fifth seed is basically a 50-50 historical chance of advancing to the second round. So there's some spots there that you definitely don't want to fall to if you're Oklahoma City or one of those teams, and definitely some spots that you want to try to avoid like that four seed in the West. But, dudes, this is going to be uh, a lot of fun here coming down the home stretch as we start to at least put pieces together for what the playoffs could look like in the West. Not only is that 4-5 matchup essentially a coin flip in, in the history of the playoffs since they expanded in 1984 to the current model, but of the 40 champions since then, only one team has won the title from a seed outside of the top three, Oof. and that was the Rockets, I believe, in their second of two championships ah, yeah. in the 90s. 95. That's it. Mm. One. One of 40 That's outside wild. of the top three seeds. That is wild. So, yeah, I mean, that makes it that much more. And I think from what we've seen, at least from the Nuggets over this course of since they've been good and then ultimately winning the championship, that uh, I think they could be. Like, say they, they ended up coming in as the four seed. Would you be shocked if they went on to win the title? Historically, it says that it doesn't happen, but, but with this group, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I kind of get it a little bit with this group. 
they could do that. But still, you make your road that much more difficult with even being in the 4-5 matchup in general. That's why it's imperative for Oklahoma City with where they're at right now to not take any step back whatsoever. Golden State has 29 remaining games left. 16 of those are on the road. And as John Hollinger writes from The Athletic, probably need to win at least 18 of the 29 games that they have to have any hope of landing in the top eight. That's a lot of pressure for a team coming down the stretch that seemingly, because of Draymond, could explode at the seams at any moment. So maybe we are right now. They're clearly not what they were, but maybe this is officially the end if they don't finish in the top eight because they've dug themselves an incredible hole right now. I was laughing yeah, at, I, at the guy. They are... there, there was a guy a couple weeks ago, dude, that uh, I think had a uh, funny statement about the thunder and everything else and and trying to make a comparison with Chet and Wimby. Do you remember... Uh, in the back and forth that we were kind of sharing where someone brought up the example of what Wimby did to Phoenix, and he's like, Phoenix isn't any good. I'd like to see him do that against a team like Golden State. I'm like, well, have you looked at the standings lately in the NBA about where Golden State actually is? Yeah, ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, Incredibly fun stuff, which gets me to something I want to play here. Since it is still technically all-star break until games start, did either of you get to listen to any of the excerpts from Kevin Durant on Boardroom where he's talking yes, about Oklahoma I've, I've City? Yes, I've heard some of it, yeah. Okay. I want to play some of that here. Have we gotten to a point in time and there will always be a wound that is there? But does it feel like that that wound has uh, started to scar over a little bit when it comes to Kevin Durant when he returns to the arena there in Oklahoma City with how he is received? And maybe I'm just basing that upon the flat-out spitting Cobra-esque venom (laughs) that existed (laughs) to when he came back. and, And anything settles over time. Most things do. But I get the sense that it is not as toxic, at least that it once was. It'll never be ever 100% back. But I think Kevin Durant kind of senses that too a little bit with some of his comments from the boardroom. So I wanted to play a little bit of this here. Scott, I think I got the 1S bomb that was in this. I think I did. Uh, But we'll play some of this here because I thought that some of this was at least worth discussing today. Yeah, you're a Phoenix Sun, but you were in Oklahoma City for nine years, and it now is starting to really like dawn on me when I see how good they are now. How do you feel when you see them like back to being like a team? Like, does it make you think of you guys at all? No, I mean, we try to say Russ wasn't a team back then. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I knew that the leadership there was smart enough to figure out. Uh, how to continue to build the brand for one and then build the team. You know, I, when you have your first entry into the NBA is Sam Presti, you got great players like Russ, James, myself, Sergi Barker. You got veterans like Perk. You know, and as a young GM, Sam was like 30 when he was a GM. I didn't realize that. I mean, when I got 30 and I started, 
I was 19 at the time, but he was 30 years old as a GM in the NBA. That's insane. So he was going through, we all were going through this maturation process and just figuring out what it is to be in the NBA in these positions. And I, and I kind of knew how smart Sam was that he'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And But the, the craziest part is like seeing the city itself. Because when I first got there, it was like one skyscraper building, not many hotels. It wasn't much going on downtown. It was it was just a raw city that hasn't been exposed to like, it felt like it was exposed to the rest of the country. And now you go there, they got they have resort hotels. They got you know multiple uh, skyscraper buildings, you know, and building towards uh, eventually having an all star game there, which does so much for a city. You know what I'm saying? So. I look at my time at OKC from that perspective uh, because we help build a city up more so than just build a fan base for basketball. I felt like we built up the core and the culture of what this town is going to be about, you know? And all of that stuff comes together, and I realize what it's like not having a team in your market as opposed to having one, you know? So for us to be expansion and do what we're doing now and to see where they are now, I feel a part of it. That's amazing, you know you agree with that that sentiment from Kevin Durant? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot has changed since the Thunder got here, and I think the Thunder elevating OKC to a major league sports city uh, is responsible for uh, you know the the vast majority of the change, and I think the the positive change. I should add, not just change, but my gosh, man, it's night and day better than it ever was. Scott, you think that that group not only energized that city, but energized the state? I think so, yeah. I mean, because I... It was like a B-12 shot to the state, it felt like. And even here, because like I was here in Tulsa, I grew up in Shawnee, but I was here when the thunder came, and you you, you still felt the, the energy. You know, and then you had a bunch of young guys, like he mentioned, and then a young GM. It just kind of, you just, you kind of felt that rebirth in the state. You know, the, I was trying to think of a way to bring this up, but I, I'm, I'm bringing it up for a positive, but I think we're all aware of the understanding about what it meant when the Hornets came here and then also David Stern and the deal cutting that went on behind the scenes with trying to, to get a team here and having the understanding that the state could support this and Oklahoma city could support it. But the one moment that still stands out to me is, was it, was it 2012 Scott, when we had the horrific tornadoes that rolled through? That was 13, 13, 2013, the more tornado. Yeah. And we're all like the state at that time is broken. We we went through a stretch there where this state was absolutely broken. Our hearts were broken. We were broken financially. We were exhausted from what we were watching and what we witnessed and then ha- trying to help rebuild and everyone is doing their best right to have a sense of um, pride in themselves and their neighbor and that they were using the Oklahoma spirit to try to help everyone rebuild. And I will never forget. I'll never forget when those images came out of the Thunder players that were going down there and not only touring, but handing out water and doing other things. And then multiple interviews they were doing with national outlets that had caught on, caught on to this. And I say what you want about sports, but in that moment, I, 
at, when I think of energizing the state, I think of moments like that from them. You know, it's it's fine, and football players, I'm, I'm, it's not a knock on anyone that has done that to help that before, but it felt different from a national perspective when you had the Kevin Durants of the world that were there. And, I mean, hell, released a, a Nike shoe, you know, in honor of them, and it brought so much attention. There was so much good faith and goodwill and energy that – Hey, this community is is great. And at that moment it was almost like, damn, you know what? They are ours. Like they are that that's that's us. That's they they finally feel in, ingrained in our community. I will never forget that feeling. And it sounds awful to think about a tragedy like that that happened with storms that rolled through, but I I do truly feel that. And I think Kevin is right. I do think that they in that organization with being as good as they were gave not only the city a B12 shot, but gave the entire state a B, uh, a B12 shot. And they uh, they helped continue, fuel the passion and drive to continue to build that city up, even though they were there after some of the original MAPS projects to help kind of rebuild the city in the first place. Would they still have that same momentum if the Thunder weren't there? I don't know. I don't know if anyone can actually answer that or not. I, I, no, I really don't. Won't. I, I really have I no answer idea. It. The, the answer yeah. is absolutely not. Yeah, so I, th- I do think that, that Kevin is right in that instance. Uh, well, I'll play some more of this coming up in a bit. Um, he's got some comments on Sam Presti, uh, also some comments on what it was like and also kind of moving past some of the anger that happened and where he's kind of at with it now from, from his perspective. Oh, give damn what that guy thinks. He left us. Okay, all right. I know that there's still some some bitterness that's out there, but – um, Kevin Durant is sensitive and has always been sensitive and, and probably always will be on social media, but that doesn't mean that there's not moments of him where he at least has shown signs of growth and maturation, and I think some of his comments on the boardroom were proof of that about Oklahoma City. All right, it's 349. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Thunder and Clippers tonight. And then we've got our uh, next Friday game tomorrow, right, Scott? That's right. The Wizards. The Wizards. I will. I almost slipped up and called them the Bullets, and I can't remember the last – I don't even remember what year they switched to the Wizards, but it's, it's been a long-ass time ago. But, yeah, that's my NBA Mid-90s, jam. 90s right? That's my NBA jam coming out in me. Yeah, it yeah. was in the 90s, yeah. Well, yeah, you see. When did Bullets <laughs> – I mean, Jordan played for the Wizards. Become Wizards. When he came back. May 15th, 1997. A contest was held, and the choices were narrowed to the Dragons, the Express, the Stallions, the Sea Dogs, and the Wizards. Those are all terrible. What kindergarten class (laughs) did they try to consult to come up with these new names? Uh, all right, time out. We'll come back with more next year on the Blitz 1170. We are streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma Text Line is where you can connect with us, 918-262-5072. That's 918-262-5072.